Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, musicians and singers. And yes, as I just mentioned, today is for Sunday school is considered Celebration Sunday. And so today they're going to be going through their singing and their, their learning. And then there's going to be all kinds of food for them, which I think all your kids like. And then they're going to have their token exchange. So every Sunday that the kids go to Sunday school, they earn tokens for good behavior, for, for Bible memory and uh, you know, memory verses and bringing kids to, to church and things like that. There are many ways that they often earn tokens. And so today, they get to exchange those tokens for the gifts that are prepared for them downstairs. And so uh, we are excited that they can be excited today in God's house. And, and once again, I think there might be six or seven, maybe more, members of our youth group that are down there right now teaching Sunday school today. And I'm certainly proud of them. You know, this past week, this past week on Friday night, we have our Youth Connect uh, at my home. And this past Friday night, we had, I think, 24 young people in my house. I should have called it a youth invasion because that's what it was like. But they did a tremendous job. They love being with each other. We even have kids coming on Friday night that don't go to church. Their families don't go to church. But they come to my house on a Friday night and they hear the gospel every time we get together. And so we are thanking God for all that he's doing in all of us. Amen. Well, today we're doing something a little bit different, as you may have already noticed above me. Today we're going to be learning from the gospel of Mark. And no, I am not finished with Romans. We are not finished by far. <laughs> There's still so much more to go through. But I feel in my heart that today God wants this particular message spoken. And so I'm doing what I believe is obeying the Lord in this leading. So let's begin by looking at Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 52. Very familiar story. Matthew tells the story. John tells the story. And of course, Mark tells the story. We know it very well, but I'm praying that today God will touch all of us as we look at the details of this story. Today's sermon title is Wind and Waves. All right, so find that, Mark chapter 6. Please, if you will, stand with me. Let us read this together, united in spirit and in heart and in faith. Verse 45, Jesus had just performed that great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 men. 5,000 men, meaning there were also women and children there as well. 5,000 men probably really meant 15 to 20,000 people altogether. They were hungry. They had no food. Jesus grabbed a couple of loaves of bread and some fish and fed them all. Not a single one of them was hungry by the end of this meal. He satisfied their hunger. Then, verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. 
Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Amen. You may be seated. So last Sunday, I got to be like you. While Pastor C. Farah was going to be preaching, I got to sit where you are and just enjoy the presence of God, enjoy the worship, and enjoy the word being preached. I sat all the way in the back and listening to the song service Jesse was leading, he ended with the song that we just ended with. And in those words, it's, do not pass me by. And as I heard those words, and I'm standing among all of you, I couldn't help but look out at all of you and wonder what may be going on in your life. Now, I don't know all of you. Some of you are here and still new, and maybe we haven't had a chance to meet yet. Some of you I do know, and many of you I know very well. But I don't know what goes on many times in the home, in the marriage, in the workplace, in the raising of your children, in your finances, and also even in your spiritual life. I can't always know all those things. And so as we were singing that song, I just felt the Lord moving in my heart with those words that he was going to pass by you. And all you need to do is just reach out and take a hold of his garment and receive help in time of need. And honestly, as Sephira was preaching and I kept thinking about all these things, I remembered this story because those words are in this story. He would have passed them by. And so throughout the week, as I continue to think about this, I truly believe God has led me to preach this particular sermon today. Not that Romans isn't important. We're going to get back to that next week. But for right now, with all of you that have been here now today, God wants to speak to you through this message. Wind and waves. Sometimes I wonder in our church, how many are still here, still living in sin, still have not bowed their knees to the Lord Jesus Christ, still have not been set free and forgiven of their sin. Sometimes I look out and I wonder how many of you are struggling in your marriage. I wonder if we have a single parent here in our church trying to raise their children, a single parent for whatever reason in life, trying to raise your children, trying to be a good example, and yet it's so difficult, and you are overwhelmed and burdened. I wonder how many of you have a, a difficult relationship with your own parents. I wonder how many of you are struggling because of the economy today, your finances, your workplace. How many of you are in a strained relationship in your marriage, among your friends, or someone else? I wonder. All these things, I would say, sum up into what we might call the wind and waves of life. 
Because you'll find out in this story that the wind, Mark says, it was against them. Meaning it was an adversary to them. They could not go any further. They lost strength because the wind was against them. Like an adversary. Standing in their face, not allowing them to go any further. And I wonder how many of us, right now in church, the wind and waves are against you and surround you. And maybe you wonder, where is God? Does he care? Does he know what I'm going through? Will he answer my cries? Will he help me? So if that's you today, let's consider this message, wind and waves. And again, as we go over this story, I want to consider some questions. Questions that the disciples may have been asking themselves while they're out there struggling in the waters all night long. And maybe these questions are the questions that we also ask when we find ourselves struggling in life. So let's begin with the first question. In that trial, among the wind and the waves, does he know? Does he know what I'm going through? Does Jesus even know what's happening in my life? That's question number one. Back in the story, verse 45 and 46, it says Jesus, he immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent that multitude away. And when he had sent them away, then he departed up to the mountain to pray. The question is, does Jesus know what is going on with his disciples? Did the disciples know when they got into that boat, heading to the other side, which is maybe six miles across that big sea of Galilee, did they know that once we set off into those deep waters, a windstorm is coming? The waves are going to be beating against our ship. We're going to lose strength. We're going to be afraid. Did they know that? No, they didn't. We often don't know what dangers or trials we're going to walk through. Did Jesus know? Did Jesus know that his disciples would face such a storm? Absolutely. Of course he did. This is why he told them to get into the boat. He knew they needed to be into a storm. The Bible says that he made them get into the boat. Therefore, it is Jesus who put them into that storm. It's Jesus who put them in that trial of wind and waves. But he didn't do it just because he felt like it. He did it because there was a purpose in what he was doing. There was something these men needed to learn. And the best way to learn it is in the wind and waves, in the storm. So Jesus, he sends the multitude away. And after he did that, he did not immediately go down and catch up with the disciples and get into the boat with them. No, he didn't do that. Why? Because he knew the storm was a needful thing for his disciples. This is something they needed to experience in their life. So, instead, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. To get alone with his Father. 
to speak face to face to the Father. And I wonder, while his disciples are struggling out in the waters, and Jesus is face to face with the Father on that mountain, I wonder, what do you suppose Jesus was praying about? Or who do you suppose Jesus was praying for? It's those men in the boat. And so we come to this next verse, verse 47. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And there, Mark paints the picture of what's happening. They are in the middle of the sea, and Jesus is all by himself up on a mountain on the land. Yes, as the trial begins in these disciples' lives, they were here, but he was there. They were here, he was there. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt that distance in your life? When you say, Lord, I feel like I'm here, and yet you are there. So far, such a distance in the midst of the trial. In the trial, we say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know why it feels like you're silent, but I feel like I'm here and you're there. Do you know what that distance feels like in your life? Have you ever said such a thing to the Lord or ever felt such a way about what you're going through? Now for the disciples, of course, they were there in the midst of that storm. They were there because the Lord put them there. In other words, they just simply obeyed what he told them to do. They listened. Get into the boat. So they did it. Go across before me to the other side. And they just listened to what Jesus told them to do. And maybe that's what's happened to you. Maybe the trial that you're in today... You feel it's just the result of me listening to Jesus. Oh, I feel like I'm, I'm obeying his word. I feel like my walk before the Lord is right. I feel like our relationship is good. I feel as though I've, I've done what is right in his eyes. And yet, I'm suffering. Yet, I find myself among wind and waves. I feel like I'm here. And he's there. I wonder if the Israelites felt like that when God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them to the Red Sea. The Bible says when they reached the Red Sea, the sea was before them, there were mountains to each side of them, and coming from the behind were the Egyptians marching after them to destroy them. They were trapped. They were at a dead end. And I wonder if anybody in Israel said, why has this happened? What's going on? It feels like we're here, and God, you're there. The Bible says the Israelites went there because God told them to go there. And he was very specific with the instructions on exactly where to go. All they did was obey the Lord. All they did was go exactly where he told them to go, and now they feel trapped. We're here. Where are you, God? 
You're somewhere out there. Sometimes it may be that the Lord has put you into your current trial. Or maybe it's a matter of you disobeying God. Maybe your trial has come because you have walked away from the Lord. Maybe you have followed the desires of your own heart. You don't know exactly when it started. You don't know how it necessarily progressed. But at some point you come to realize, I'm here and he's there. I don't know how it all happened, but I feel so far from God. Jesus told the story of a son who said to his father, give me my inheritance and give it to me now. So the father obeyed and gave him that inheritance, gave him the money, and the boy, Jesus says, took off and he went to a country that was far away, a far country, and there he wasted all of his money on sinful living, on alcohol probably, on women, on partying. He spent all that he had. And then he was left with nothing. And there was a famine. And eventually he found himself in the mud and slop of pigs. And looking at those pigs eating their slop, he wished that he could eat like them because he was so hungry. And then Jesus says that that young man had a thought. And he said, you know, at my father's house, even the servants are treated better than I am right now. And so he came up with an idea. I need to go back home. And as he's thinking about this, he's rehearsing a prayer in his mind. What will I say to the father when I get there? I want to make sure I'm, I'm humble. I want to make sure I confess. I want to make sure I honor him and respect him. So here's what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just please make me a servant. And on the way home, he's probably rehearsing it over and over. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like a servant. Jesus says that while the son was still a far way off, the father saw him. The father never stopped looking in that direction. The father always knew one day my boy is coming home. And Jesus said, when the man saw his son still far away, the man went running. He ran and ran and ran. He caught up to his son. He hugged him. He kissed him. And in that embrace, at some point, the young man backed up and he said, okay, dad, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father put a stop to the prayer. If you read the story, the boy never even got to finish what he was going to say. The father stopped him in his words and said, get my robe and put it on him. Get my ring, put it on him. Take my shoes and put it on him. For my son who was lost has been found. And they celebrated the fact that his son had come home. That son went away because of his disobedience. And such love from the father, 
he knew what was in his son's heart. You know, Jesus said that when you pray, before you even say what you want to say, before you even ask what you want to ask, your father already knows. He already knows what's in your heart and what you need. The Lord knows the distance that we find ourselves in. He knows all about it. When somebody begins to walk in their own way, the Lord knows there's a distance the moment you begin to turn. He already knows what's happening. He already knows where you're going to go. And he already knows what's going to take place in your life. He can already see, even you don't, but he can see wind and waves are coming. He knows all about that great distance we sometimes find ourselves in. And you know what else? Jesus himself knows what it feels like to be at a distance from God. Of course, not because he ever disobeyed, never that, but because he obeyed. The Bible says that when Jesus was dying on the cross, right at about noontime, as the waves of the wrath of God begin to crash and bellow over Jesus on that cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 also quotes him by saying, why are you so far from helping me? It's as though Jesus was saying to the Father, I'm here and you're there. And he knew what the distance felt like. He knows what it's like. And at the cross, though the darkness surrounded him, he still trusted in his Father. And he knew the Father heard his cries. And though the great distance of death itself was upon him, death could not hold him, and he would rise again. Where are you today? How far is that distance today between you and God? I assure you, the Lord knows all about it. Second question. Not only does the Lord know, but does he see? Now this might sound like the same thing we just discussed, but I don't think it is. There's something different about the Lord seeing and the Lord knowing about our circumstance. I believe that seeing is something that's much more intimate that's happening between you and God, the fact that he sees you. It's not that God is just simply aware of things. It's not that he is aware of what we're going through, but he sees it. And he sees it because he's watching. He's always watching. Does he see? Well, in verse 48 it says, Then he saw them, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Through the wind and the waves, the disciples may have asked, first of all, does the Lord know about this? Did he know about it when he sent us out? Does he know it now? Do you think they could have asked? Or do you think they would have asked this question? Does the Lord see? I mean, would they even ask that question? Because it seems impossible, doesn't it? How could the Lord see what they're going through? 
First of all, according to John's recollection, they were already four miles into the midst of the Sea of Galilee. You ever try to focus on something four miles away? And not only that, but this is happening in the evening until the early morning hours. It is dark and they are four miles away. How could Jesus possibly even see them? Humanly speaking, that's impossible. But Jesus sees them in a way that only God can see. No matter how far, no matter how dark, God always sees. He always knows, he always sees. Jesus, of course, saw them. And you know, even while he's walking up that mountain to pray, he's thinking about them. He knows everything about what's about to happen. He's watching them. They are always on his mind. Always. He's always thinking of them. They're always on his mind, and they're always in his sights. Always. And it's the same way with you. You can't go anywhere without the Lord knowing about it. You can't be anywhere without the Lord seeing you and knowing what you're going through. Of course he saw them. Just like he saw Hagar in the Old Testament. Some weeks ago we talked about how Abraham and Sarah decided in order for us to have a son, it's going to have to mean Abraham takes their maidservant Hagar, has a child with her, and then hopefully it's a son and he can begin the generations of Abraham. Well, of course, we know that was a mistake to do. But Hagar, nevertheless, got pregnant. And when she got pregnant, Sarah began to hate her and abuse her until Hagar couldn't take it anymore. She's not with her own family. She's away from her home in Egypt. She's being mistreated and abused, and she does the only thing she can think of. She runs, and she runs, and she runs. And then she ended up at a well. And as she's there resting, the Bible says that the Lord found her. The Lord found her. And he said, Hagar, where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? And as she began to pour out her heart to the Lord, the Lord began to comfort her. And the Lord gave her a promise to always take care of her and the child. He knew that child even before the child was born. He encouraged her, he strengthened her, and he sent her back to the home of Abraham and Sarah. But before she left that place, she looked at that well and she called that place by a new name. She called it El Roy. El Roy, which means the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. And she even confessed it. How is this? How is it that the one who is speaking to me is actually seeing me and the things that I go through? Hagar learned he's been watching. He's always watching. And even though she said to the Lord, I'm running away from the presence of Sarah. Yeah, she might be able to run away from the presence of Sarah, but you can never run away from the presence of God. Never. And so she calls this place the God who sees me. And she learned that the Lord was watching. He saw her when she was abused. He saw her when she was weeping. 
He saw her when she took off running. God saw her. God could also see her unborn child. He was watching them. The Lord knows where you are today. He knows. He sees everything that has happened. And he also knows you are out of strength. He knows it. And I hope you know it too. I hope you know that if you think you can do things in this life without the Lord, you will run out of strength. The Lord knows that. We need to know it too. He knows your heartache. He sees your weeping. He sees your frustration. And his eyes, they are filled with compassion. And his heart is full of love. And today, brothers and sisters, he's beginning to pass by you at this very moment. Question number three. First of all, does he know? Yes, he does. Does he see? Yes, he does. Well then, does he care? I get it that he knows. I get it that he sees. But does he care about me? Verse 48. Now about the fourth watch of the night, that's about three in the morning, four in the morning, which means they have been out there all night long struggling in this windstorm. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. Listen, they didn't know what was going on. I can tell you this, the last thing they expect to see right now is Jesus walking on the water. I'm telling you, that's the last thing they would conclude about what they're looking at. Who would ever think Jesus is going to come walking on water? They thought they were seeing a ghost, an evil spirit. And it makes sense because there was a time on this same lake on the shores of the other side, there was a demon-possessed man who was possessed with thousands of demons. His name was Legion. And Jesus delivered that man, and all those demons filled 2,000 pigs. And what happened to those pigs? They went crazy, ran off the cliff into the same body of water that this story takes place. And they're probably thinking, here's one of them right here. Here's a demon. And they're afraid, they're terrified. They don't know what they're looking at. They have been struggling all night long. And just when they have realized they are completely powerless against the wind and waves, Mark says, he came to them, walking on the sea. He came to them. Not too long ago, it was, they're here, he's there. Or they're here and he's there. But now in the story, they're here and guess what? Jesus is here too. Amen. He came to them. And he was walking on the sea. Yes, the very thing that terrified them. The very thing that was against them. The wind and the waves crashing against them. The adversary itself, all that was against them, all that caused them to be afraid, all that caused them to struggle, became 
a paved walkway for Jesus Christ to come to them. I can't tell you how many times I have watched people meet Jesus at the very moment of the greatest trial of life. I've seen it happen at a funeral. I've seen it happen even when a family is being broken apart. I've seen it in a hospital room. I've seen it many times in many struggles. You see, because God can take all that trial and storm and difficulty and he uses it to come to a person's life. Only Jesus can do such things. And I've often prayed for people and they say to me things like, will you pray for me because I need this or I need that. And I agree and that's how I will pray. But I'm also praying this, that God will use this struggle to teach you to trust in him. That God will use this struggle to teach you something about him that you never knew before. And that's what Jesus was doing for them. And here's what Mark says. And these words really catch my attention. And he would have passed them by. I mean, imagine that. Here they are without strength, beaten by the wind and the waves. They've been struggling all night. Here comes Jesus, and Mark says he would have passed them by and just continue on. And you think, why? What's he doing? Well, first of all, let me just say this. First of all, Jesus had every reason to keep going. In the story, he should have been able to just keep on going. Do you remember what he said to the disciples? Get into the boat, go before me to the other side. Which means, now you're going to get into a boat, you're going to go to the other side before me. Which means, I will meet you there on the other side. So those disciples have to get from point A to point B. And they should have known just like we should always know, but we don't. They should have known. He said, I'm going from here to there, which means no matter what happens in between, I am getting there. But they didn't think that. They didn't believe that. Jesus should have been able to just keep on walking and say, hey guys, good luck with the wind. I'll see you on the other side. But he didn't do that, did he? He did not keep going, did he? He didn't pass on by and keep walking, did he? No. Why? Because of the simple fact that they were afraid and they cried. Jesus would have passed them by, but he didn't because they were afraid and they cried. Jesus will never, never simply pass by someone who's crying. Jesus will never just simply pass by when somebody is calling out for help. Do you know what Jesus does? He stops right where you are. It's like the story of Bartimaeus. The Bible says that Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. And Mark tells the story. And you can find out very clearly, this is the last time Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And he knows everything that's about to take place. He's going to come down the Mount of Olives riding on a donkey. 
They're going to be shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, the king. And in four days, he's going to be crucified right outside that city. And he's going to die and be buried. He knows all that is coming. And so I would not blame Jesus if he just wants to get to Jerusalem and carry on with what he needs to do. I mean, if people are calling out to him, I won't blame him if he ignores them and gets to Jerusalem. He's got too much on his mind already. Yet Mark says on his way, surrounded by a multitude of people, this man named Bartimaeus who was blind heard that Jesus was passing by. And when Bartimaeus knew it was Jesus, he can't see. He's just crying out into that darkness. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people tried to tell him to keep quiet, but he called out all the more, all the louder. You know what the Bible says? Jesus stood still. He stopped. His disciples probably said, you don't have time for this, Jesus. It's just a blind man. It's just a beggar. Keep going. You've got to get to Jerusalem. But Jesus stood still. Why? Because a man was crying. And Jesus never ignores the cry of people. So Jesus says to his disciples, go and get that man and bring him to me. And the disciples go to the man and they say, man, be of good cheer. He's calling you. Be of good cheer. Do you know they're talking like Jesus talked? They heard him say those words so many times. Be of good cheer. It means take courage. They heard him say it so many times. Now they're talking like Jesus. Be of good cheer. Come, he's calling you. And eventually he healed the man and that man followed Jesus. Be of good cheer. He said it often. When Pastor Seferis spoke last week about that paralytic man being raised down from the rooftop, Jesus looked at him and he said, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. When Jesus was walking through a multitude, passing by a woman who had a problem with bleeding, she snuck up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his garment. Jesus turned around and when he found out who had touched him, he said, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. When Paul, the apostle, was in prison, the Bible says that the Lord stood near Paul and said, Paul, be of good cheer. I'm sending you to Rome. He's with his disciples, telling them all about life that is ahead of them and all the tribulations and all the trials that are ahead of them, about all the wind and waves that are a part of life. And he says to them, but be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. He said it so many times until his disciples started saying it like him. And what do we have in the story? It says immediately, while they're scared, he talked with them and said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. In the darkness of that night, when eyes fail, when the disciples cannot see, they knew the voice that was speaking. They knew that voice. They had heard it so many times. They knew it well. No matter how dark it became, 
they always knew how to listen to the voice of the Lord. Do not be afraid. What gives them the right to say such a thing? Because I'm here. It is I. Do not be afraid. He commanded them to take courage. He commanded them to not be afraid, even in the midst of wind and waves. Jesus was now here and with them, and his presence makes all the difference. Amen. He gets into the boat, and the wind ceased. Done. Oh, how he cared for them. And oh, how he cares for you. And let me close with one more question. Does he know? Yes. Does he see? Yes. Does he care? Oh, yes. But here's a question for you. Do I believe? Do I believe? Mark finishes the story like this. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. And that seems like a strange way to end the story if you're only reading this story. But you know, when Matthew tells the story and John and Mark, they all end it with their own memory of how it ended for them. They end it with what really touched their lives. So when Matthew tells the story, after the wind ceased and there was peace, the disciples said, truly, you are the Son of God. Now why is that important? Because there was another time before this when Jesus calmed the storm. And the disciples, when they saw this storm obey the mouth of Jesus, they said, what kind of a man is this? Who is this? What sort of man is this? Now they know, beyond a doubt, truly you are the Son of God. John ends the story by saying this. He says, we were four miles out into that lake, which means we're about halfway across. We still have another three miles or so to get to shore. Jesus gets into the boat, the storm stops, and immediately we were on the other side. What? Immediately they were on the shore. How did that happen? They went from the middle of that sea to the shore immediately, just like that. How does the Lord do such things? Because he is the Lord. But Mark ends the story differently. He's listening to Peter tell the story. And Peter wanted us to remember something else about it, and it was this. Just before this story happened, Jesus fed all those people. Mark says he looked out at all these people. He saw them, and he knew everything about them. He knew that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He knew everything about them. He saw every one of them, and he had compassion for them. He cared for them. How do we know that? Because he sat every one of them down and made sure every man, every woman, Every child is going to have something to eat today. Not one stomach was left empty on that day. He knew them. He saw them. He cared for them. But somehow the disciples forgot this lesson. You see, they saw Jesus look at the crowds, and they could say, wow, look how he loves them. 
Wow, look how Jesus will provide for those people. He loves them. He cares for them. He knows them. But they need to remember this same Jesus, he cares for me too. He loves me too. He provides for me too. He also calms my storms. Today when we're reading the story, we're not looking at this as this is what Jesus did to them 2,000 years ago on their boat in their storm. No, this Jesus is still the Savior. This Jesus still speaks into our storms. This Jesus still comes to us in time of need. This Jesus still brings peace into our life. The disciples needed to remember this. And I think at this point, they'll never forget it again. We also need to believe, need to believe these things. We're not just reading a story and saying, wow, that's nice. What a great thing he did for them. We read this and say, Lord, you can do it for me too. You care about me too. You love me too. Musicians, would you come? Today, today, right now, the Lord Jesus is passing by. Do you know when I was little and we used to sing that song in church, I always envisioned it in my own mind. I'm not saying God gave me the vision, I'm just saying this is what I pictured. Because even as a young person, I was often in need. And I often did things that needed forgiveness. And I just always pictured, as we sang that song and I was praying, I always pictured he's walking, he's walking, and he's coming before me. And all I do is reach out. All I do is say, Lord, help me. And he will stop right there and minister to my needs. I believe that's true. You know, Jesus, he never forces himself into our situations. He never comes uninvited, never. He passes by and he listens for the call. He listens for the invitation. And if you believe and are willing, he will come and supply the need. Do you believe in this? Amen. Let's stand together. I asked Sister Gale and the worship team to sing this song again, including some of the verses. And as we sing this, you're facing something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. I know it because I know the Lord led me to preach the sermon. And it might be just one of you today, but the Lord loves you enough to make sure this whole sermon is speaking directly to you today. If it's you, the Lord is passing by. Let's reach out and touch him as he comes by. Sister Gale.